Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, in verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And our subject this evening is the beast out of the sea. And uh, we return to the book of Revelation. We are in the uh, fourth cycle of the book, the fourth view of the gospel age. And uh, the symbols perhaps that you uh, may have noticed are becoming more obscure and more difficult to interpret because we are focusing on uh, spiritual realities. The first part of the book of Revelation focused on outward earthly realities, the, uh, the outward working of God's will. But behind the scenes there is a, a spiritual battle, a spiritual scene that is uh, unseen to the human eye, and because it's unseen to the human eye, it's therefore more difficult for us to visualize what that uh, battle and that scene will look like. And so this is part of the reason why these pictures, these uh, illustrations and symbols are uh, so uh, obscure or can seem to be quite difficult because uh, these are expressing things that are so hard for us to understand. But uh, just before we go into chapter 13, we must remember, of course, that uh, these things that we read of, they are symbols. They are not literal objects or uh, true things in that sense. They mean something else. They signify something else. The woman, for example, in chapter 12, the woman expecting a child is not a literal woman, not an actual woman. But the woman represents something. She's a symbol of the church. And the child she was carrying is Christ. And uh, that's how we interpret the book of Revelation. They are symbols. They signify something else. And this will be uh, important to remember as uh, we enter into chapter 13. So let us uh, look at this first verse and... Uh, uh, we will begin to uh, unravel these uh, difficult images and pictures. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now, uh, uh, this is following off the back of... Uh, uh, what we considered in chapter 12, and uh, we looked at the dragon, who is Satan, and uh, the dragon, having failed to kill off the Lord Jesus Christ, now comes after the church. He wants to attack the church, and we noted how the church went into the wilderness, which is a place prepared of God for uh, the church's safety and protection, 
The wilderness is a place in the world, but not of the world. And that's how we describe the church. It's in the world, but it's not of the world. And while the church is in the wilderness, she cannot be harmed by Satan. Even though Satan tries to drag the church back into the world, uh, the wilderness, we read, soaks up the uh, attacks of Satan, the flood of lies that Satan uh, threatens against the church. But Satan will never give up attacking the church, even despite this protection that the church has during the gospel age. uh, Satan will attack uh, the church as a body and uh, individual Christians. And so in chapter 13, as we begin this chapter, we see that Satan employs uh, helpers or means, you could say, or uh, instruments, tools to uh, uh, inflict these attacks upon the church. And uh, the first tool that he is going to use, or the first instrument, is represented in this beast. And this beast is uh, pictured as rising up out of the sea. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Well, the sea uh, in the book of Revelation represents the nations, the peoples of the earth, the governments of the earth, the kings, the rulers. The sea represents the nations. And the nations, of course, in this fallen world, there are, there's always tumult, there is always strife, there is no peace, as it were, just like the sea, so troubled, so restless. That is uh, the picture that represents the nations, the governments of the earth. And well, there is a, a reference, same reference made elsewhere in the scriptures, Isaiah 57 and verses 20 to 21. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. Isaiah is picturing the peoples, the nations, like a troubled sea. And if you just look uh, very uh, quickly to Revelation 17 and verse 15, well, this confirms it to us. It will uh, uh, explain as we read here in verse 15. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples, and multitudes, and nations, and tongues, the waters, the seas. They are peoples and nations. And uh, so the beast that is coming out of the sea, he is representing the nations, the governments, the authorities of the world. And what this picture and what these verses will uh, present to us is that Satan employs the governments of this world, to attack the church, the authorities of this world, to attack the church. This is really the picture here. The beast rising up out of the sea, Satan will employ the nations and the kingdoms to attack the church. And uh, we'll develop that thought just a little bit later. But let's just look at how uh, the beast is described having seven heads and ten horns, 
and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Well, uh, just to put it very simply, we'll try not to get bogged down with all these numbers this week, but uh, uh, this really is uh, communicating the power that the beast has. The horn is a symbol of power, and uh, this beast has ten horns, but remember that the beast and uh, Satan, the dragon, they do not have more power than God allows them to have. This is uh, God's delegated power. God is over all of these things. But nevertheless, the dragon and the beast, they do have power, seven uh, heads. And, uh, uh, well, we uh, noted last week that the devil likes to imitate God and the perfection of God. So uh, he's seen here with the seven heads. But there's no way that this beast can be mistaken for God because upon his heads there are names of blasphemy. So, of course, this is not God. God is not going to uh, blaspheme himself. Spiritually speaking, seen from a spiritual view, this uh, beast is nothing like God. But this beast is fearsome, verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, a leopard which is a fierce creature, swift to leap upon its prey. Well, this beast similarly that Satan employs is able to move quickly and decisively. And his feet were as the feet of a bear. Again, another fearsome creature, a bear, ready to tear apart, ready to crush its enemies with its feet. And then we have the mouth of a lion. Well, uh, that speaks of uh, uh, the intimidating nature of the beast, the mouth of the lion always growling and roaring, oppressive, fearsome. And uh, Satan, of course, is often described as a roaring lion seeking to devour his prey. So uh, there are similarities here. But this is how the beast is uh, described, a leopard, a bear, and a dragon. Now, if we uh, keep this in mind and uh, turn just very briefly to the Old Testament, this will help us connect some dots. If we turn to the book of Daniel and uh, chapter 7, the book of Daniel, chapter 7, just after uh, the book of Ezekiel, just over halfway through the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7. And we see that Daniel himself had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. And he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters in verse 1. And then in verse 2, Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. So the setting is the same, the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. And, uh, well, as we read the next few verses, note the similarities. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. 
So a lion is mentioned here as it is in Revelation. And verse 5, And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, just as we've seen in the book of Revelation. And it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it, and so on. And then verse 6, After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. So uh, we have the same imagery. We have the sea, we have the lion, we have the bear, we have the leopard. And uh, in this uh, vision of uh, Daniel, there are different kingdoms being represented. Four different kingdoms, uh, the kingdom of Babylon, Media, Persia, and Greece uh, are being represented in these uh, uh, pictures here and in this vision. But the beast in uh, Revelation chapter 13, as we turn back uh, to Revelation, the beast in Revelation is a combination of those uh, beasts in Daniel. It's like uh, uh, all of those beasts that we have read of, read of in Daniel, they are combined together to make one beast, the beast that we see here in uh, chapter 13. And so this beast in Revelation 13, well, it's a combination. It represents, as William Hendrickson says, the persecuting power of Satan embodied in all the nations and governments of the world throughout history. So this is not representing one kingdom like the visions in Daniel did. One represented Greece, one represented Babylon, this is representing all of the nations and governments throughout history whom Satan will employ to persecute the church. So this beast would include, well, the Babylonians, of course, and the Assyrians who uh, threatened the children of Israel and attacked them. It would represent Egypt in the time of Moses that oppressed the Jews, the Israelites, it would represent Rome in the time of the Apostle John, fierce persecution that the early believers had in the time of the Roman Empire. That would be included in the beast. It would include the persecution in uh, Tudor times, Mary Tudor, and uh, how uh, many of the saints were martyred under her reign, particularly in 1555 and recorded by John Knox. It would include uh, the communist regimes in modern times that have uh, suppressed Christians and imprisoned them. So all of these regimes, these uh, governments that have attacked Christian people, they're all represented in this one beast. He's a combination of uh, uh, all those anti-Christian powers, all those who have attacked the word of God, all those who have oppressed the Lord's people. And, uh, and so this essentially is uh, who this beast is. And then, well, we read that the dragon at the end of verse 2, Satan gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Well, Satan cannot establish an earthly throne. He cannot... Uh, rule over the world as one person, 
he must uh, employ human beings to do his work. And, uh, well, he employs the governments of, uh, of the world to uh, attack the church. But verse 3, And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. So the beast, we know that he has seven heads, and uh, one of the heads has been wounded, but the deadly wound is seen to have been healed. And uh, in a miraculous way, all the world wondered after the beast. Now, uh, this is uh, difficult to interpret. There are a number of different interpretations. But uh, essentially, it seems that one of these world powers that uh, oppress the Christian people One of these world powers died, but then revived again. That seems to be the general notion. And uh, some people think that it represents Rome. Rome, as I've already mentioned, persecuted the church in uh, the Apostle John's time. But then the Roman Empire fell. It's gone. Now, some people think that uh, Rome will rise up again, or rather the Roman Catholic Church will have so much power that it will uh, do away with all uh, uh, the Lord's people and do away with the gospel witness in the church. So some people think it's Rome, and then the Roman Catholic Church will be the revival of Roman power. Hermann Herxemer has an interesting interpretation. He believes that this uh, refers to the Tower of Babel, We uh, remember the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis, how uh, uh, the uh, people built that tower to reach up to heaven so that man can be as God. And then what did God do? Well, he confounded the people. He uh, uh, sent uh, that confusion of tongues so that they could not build that tower. But Herxima claims that at the very end, or eventually, that great obstacle will be overcome. Language will be no barrier at all to the dominion of world authority. They will all join together. There will be a one-world government, and we'll uh, talk a little bit more about that later on. But that's what he believes, that this will be a, a reversal of Babel. Babel was a disastrous blow, but now man has... Uh, Uh, endeavored and succeeded in reversing that blow and gaining control of the whole earth. But I prefer uh, the uh, interpretation that is given by Richard Brooks. And really what this means, or what uh, he uh, uh, presents this as meaning, is that there will be very little respite for Christian people in the gospel age. As soon as one power As soon as one persecuting power goes and is toppled, another will replace it. Richard Brooks says that this uh, wound that is healed, really it's speaking of the, uh, the regenerating power of the beast. There will be no respite, no rest for the Lord's people during the Christian age. Satan will never cease. And so this is what is represented here, the regenerating power. Yes, empires come and go, but uh, 
the attack upon the church, well, it will keep reviving itself until, of course, the very end. But then verse 4, And they, the world, worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Well, the world we read here worships the beast. Well, of course, with every great world power, with every great dictatorship, there is always an element of worship. The most obvious example, perhaps, in recent history is, well, you think of uh, Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany and how he was worshipped. But, of course, he's not the only one down throughout history. The Egyptians worshipped the pharaohs. The Babylonians worshipped Nebuchadnezzar. The Romans worshipped Caesar. Every world power, there is some element of worship. The world loves to worship themselves, if you can put it that way. The world, man loves to worship man's power. Man worships man. But in this verse, I don't know if you noticed it, as they worship themselves, as they worship the beast, they're actually worshipping Satan. And they worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And this is something we ought to uh, uh, note and, and recognize, particularly in our society. When man worships himself, when men worship men, really what they're doing, they're worshiping Satan. Because Satan is behind this. Satan encourages man to worship man. Even in the Garden of Eden, remember what uh, uh, the uh, uh, serpent said to Eve and what the nature of the temptation was. You will be as gods. If you take this fruit, your eyes will be opened. You will be as gods. You'll be able to worship yourself. Not God, not the true and living God. You'll be able to worship yourself. Satan was behind that. Behind that temptation. Behind that mentality. And so when we see particularly in this world, man worshipping himself, worshipping his science, worshipping his achievements, really in a sense they're worshipping Satan. Satan worship is not everybody getting down before an idol of Satan. Satan would never have it that way. It's too obvious. Satan worship is man's adulation of man. And uh, that is something we have to recognize. Whenever man worships himself, really he is under the influence of Satan and giving worship and honor to him. Satan is behind all of these things. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Well, the world submits willingly to the dominion of Satan. Notice how the world talks a lot about uh, resisting evil. The world is always talking about resisting tyranny and resisting oppression. But the oppression of Satan, they will gladly give in to. The dominion of Satan, they love it. 
They worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? They will not resist that dominion or that tyranny. They fully support and endorse any law that undermines or attacks the word of God. Anti-Christian laws are so pleasing to the flesh. A liberal society is pleasing to the flesh. So uh, this is the one tyranny that people love. But, uh, well, we read here that this beast is also speaking great blasphemies. Verse 5, And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Blasphemies, denying the Lord. If you look at that song of the worshippers at the end of verse 5, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Well, previously, that was language only reserved for God. Micah, the book of the prophet Micah, chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? This is language that ought to be reserved for God. And in Exodus, Israel's song of thanksgiving when they're delivered from Pharaoh. Exodus 15, verse 11. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? But the world is taking this language and applying it to themselves, to Satan, to ungodly influences. And this is the nature of the blasphemy denying the Lord and his glory, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Well, we spoke of this uh, last week, forty-two months, that's the whole of the gospel age. Uh, I do have to apologize, I kept saying the wrong uh, uh, number of days. It's 1,260 days, is forty-two months. I was uh, reading out continually the wrong number, 1,270, I was saying. But uh, essentially what you need to know and understand is that this is the same time, the gospel age. So throughout the gospel age, Satan will employ earthly governments, earthly authorities, kings, kingdoms to oppress the Lord's people, to speak blasphemies. Verse 6, he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven, the witness of the Lord's people, will be oppressed and erased. And verse 7, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Now this verse is one of the reasons why many people think that at the end of time, there will be a one world government. Because we read in this verse that power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And uh, so this gives rise to uh, this uh, theory. Well, uh, perhaps it's possible. We can't say for sure. But it would be uh, very likely that's what the world seems to be working towards at the moment, a one-world government, peace, 
in the world under the guise of peace and uh, uh, everyone joining together, no country opposed to any other country. Peace, that's what the world wants. But uh, it will be peace for the world, but they will all be united in one great design to oppress the church. Peace for the world, but uh, peace so that they can all peacefully attack the church. That is what is presented here. And then verse 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Well, those who are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, those who are not the Lord's people, they will be taken in by this uh, ploy of Satan, by this beast. They will gladly submit to the authority of men and worldly kingdoms, those who are not written in the book of life. Those whose names are written in the book of life, we will be able to see through it. We will be able to identify the work of Satan in the governments of the world and in the laws that are passed, just as we can do so now. This modern time is a perfect illustration. The world rejoices at how liberal everything is becoming and how this liberal view of the world is spreading to every nation. But the people of God, we can see that this is a terrible thing when these laws are being passed to uh, uh, promote and to uh, encourage abortion. And uh, these laws are being passed to uh, promote and to legislate euthanasia and so on. And same-sex marriage. The world rejoices, of course, and all these things are being pushed by the governments and by the laws of the governments. We must have this. But we who are Christians, we who are believers, we whose names are written in the book of life, we won't submit to those things. We can see the wickedness of these things. But the rest of the world, they are blind. And of course, they willingly submit to the beast and to uh, everything that comes out of the mouth of the beast. But this is a warning for us. Verse 9, if any man have an ear, let him hear. But let's just close with verse 10. We won't obviously have time to get to uh, the second beast and uh, the 666 at the end. That will be reserved for next week. But verse 10, he that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Well, again, this has uh, been interpreted in a number of different ways. Some people believe that this is speaking about how the saints will suffer, how the Lord's people will suffer under the oppression of the beast. They will be led into captivity. They will be slain with the sword, and yet they will patiently endure. They will still have faith. They know that this time must come, 
They are called to live through this time. And uh, they will take up their cross, just as Christ took up his cross and suffered and died. They too will live through that time and suffer and die. But others, and I think this is probably most likely, others believe that this is uh, uh, the encouragement to the church. And the meaning of it is that he that leadeth into captivity, i.e. the beast himself, he who has led the saints into captivity and imprisoned the saints, he too will one day go into captivity. He will be punished, he will be dealt with. And he that killed with the sword, the dragon, the beast who slay so many of the Lord's people, they who kill with the sword, they too will be killed with the sword. The Lord will deal with them. And this is a great encouragement. And this is what gives the saints their patience and their faith. Because they know that one day they will be avenged. That Satan and the beast will not have their victory. He that leadeth now shall go into captivity. He that killeth now, he shall be killed. There will be justice. There will be judgment. God will visit God will avenge his people, and that's what strengthens the Lord's people. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints, because, of course, we know how it ends, and it's victory for the Lord's people, and defeat for Satan and the beast that comes out of the sea. So this is the first beast. There will be a, a second beast, a second helper next week for Satan, but that will come in due course. May the Lord bless these things to us.